What's up, everyone? Welcome back to Watch With Sound. My name is Josh Landicho, and with me is... Carmela Ocampo. And on today's episode, we have a special guest... Sophia Fregoso. And on today's <laughs> special episode, we're doing Martin Scorsese's classic, The King of Comedy, directed by Martin Scorsese, starring Robert De Niro, Jerry Lewis, Sandra Bernard, and Diane Abbott. Now... This is a, if I could do the math right, 41-year-old movie? Is that right? 41 years old? Is that math right? Yeah, 40, <laughs> yeah 41. 41 years old movie. So, Carmela, I want to g- start off with your expectations, your context, your preconceived notions of the movie The King of Comedy. So, I receive a text message from Josh maybe like a month prior to the showing i i'd never i'd never read this tone from josh either he's basically basically begs me to watch this movie <laughs> he begins with as a friend <laughs> i be, i want you to see this movie and he he understands he understands the conditions it's in santa monica it's a 7:30 p.m. showing on a sunday night and i usually i usually say no but because he said as a friend I want you to see this movie because I love it and it's important to me. He didn't say all this, but I, this is exactly what I gathered. <laughs> um, and I'm sure it's what you meant. Uh, so yeah, I go. And also this movie, because like I expected this movie to be, you know, Shay and I were talking about this in the car on our way there. We were like, this is either really good or licorice pizza. We were like, I have no <laughs> idea anymore. Like <laughs> Josh told us, Josh betrayed us. <laughs> The last time he said he loved a movie, it was like licorice pizza and it felt like a direct betrayal. And so, you know, I I was pretty optimistic, though. I was like, I, I think it's going to be good. I think this is un- not like licorice pizza. But yeah. Anyways, that was my preconceived <laughs> notion. Yeah. Yeah. I um I always invite Carmela to things. She always says no. Kind of fucked up. Um, so this time I was like, oh, I gotta lies. pull, I gotta, <laughs> I gotta pull the, the friendship guard to get her to hang out with me and Sophia to watch this film that me and Sophia both really love. So that's why I was very dramatic, very much so like, oh, you need to watch this. Cause like, it's one of my favorite movies as of late. Um, I think Sophia as well, but Sophia, what, did, what were your preconceived notions, your expectations, your context before watching King of Comedy? Before watching it the first time or before watching it this time? Both times. Whatever makes you feel comfortable, special guest. (laughs) I mean, the first time we saw it, I don't think I had ever even heard of it. Like, you had just told me Joker was more based off of this movie than it was based off of Taxi Driver, even though Taxi Driver typically gets the rap for that. So, like, that was really the only thing I went in knowing, and I'm really glad that I went in as blind as I did because it made the first viewing experience just super enjoyable. And then the second time we watched it, I was just, like, really hoping to find out more about the universe, I guess, and, like, what else might be going on that I didn't notice the first time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you for that special guest. So for me, my my little expectation for the notions is just like I've been hearing a lot about it. Um, one of my friends slash coworkers told me about it, and I don't know. I just felt like I've seen. I was seeing so many things about it. I think at the time too, like a bunch of Instagrams that I follow that make bootleg merch or like starting to make merch of this movie, and of course like the influence of Letterboxd and Rotten Tomato scores and and things of that nature really really influenced me to be like oh maybe this is like really really good I don't know people are calling it like Martin Scorsese's underrated film and uh, uh, overlooked film and all that so in my head I was like what could go wrong also too 
I think at the time we watched this at Brain Dead, and just looking at the calendar, I always look up things that look interesting or sound interesting. And I saw that it was Marbert De Niro with Martin Scorsese, so yeah, we're not sure. Um, and that sort of led me and Sophia to watch this film. Before we get into it any further, this is a 41, <laughs> 41-year-old film. So if you haven't watched the film yet, kind of your fault. But if you don't want to spoil it for yourself for a reason, stop right here. Go watch the film. Come back and listen to us. If you want to spoil it for yourself for a reason, go right ahead. I suggest not to, obviously, because we're doing this film and it's very, very special. As we said in, in the intro with Carmela, I had to pull out my friendship card just for her to watch <laughs> it with us. Carmela, the only little plot summary of the film, The King of Comedy. Rupert Pupkin is a passionate yet unsuccessful comic who craves nothing more than to be in the spotlight. And to achieve this, he stalks and kidnaps his idol to take the spotlight for himself. Whoa, not stalking and kidnapping. Um, and I guess right now we'll start off with Sophia. What did you think of the film after watching it? How did you feel the first time, the second time? Um, and how do you feel about this movie overall as a Martin Scorsese film? Wow, a uh, lot to tackle there. Overall, I loved it. Um, this is, like Josh said, probably my favorite Scorsese film. Is there something about the character of Rupert Pumpkin? There's something about his character that even though he's clearly not a good guy, you still kind of root for him. And with having that kind of an anti-hero character as your lead, I don't know. It's I I enjoy getting to watch him fail a little bit like he's just a fun character to to watch and that makes the movie so enjoyable for me and watching it a second time and getting to appreciate him so much more going in knowing that he doesn't necessarily get his happy ending i mean he kind of does but we'll get into that later or does he or does he but yeah i i love this movie and after your first first watching Carmela, what did you think of this film, knowing how much it meant to me that I had to pull up the friendship <laughs> card? Knowing how much it meant to me. Wow, yeah. So I I definitely felt the pressure, you know, going in of like <laughs> <laughs> I also felt the pressure too, because I was like, what if like Shane Carmel's like, oh, this is Josh's like favorite movie right now? This is a You didn't want another licorice pizza repeat. Yeah, yeah. don't worry. Yeah, yeah. Where you guys are like talking behind my back <laughs> as the movie's going on. Because <laughs> it's like, this is it, this is it, huh? Right? Like, oh, so this is it, huh? Yeah, how did you f- wait? How did you feel about the four and a half rating? Were you like disappointed or like? Um, I wasn't disappointed. Just backstory: after we watched the film, <laughs> we asked. Obviously, I obviously asked like Carmel and Shay in a very interrogative way, like, "Oh, what did you think of it? What did you rate it?" Gun to they the said head. four and a half. Gun to the head. Everything. They gave it a four and a half, and I was like, oh, "Okay, that's like fine." I didn't like. That's. I fine. didn't expect you to love it as as much as I did, but at least like it's still in a high rating where like. You had fun with it, and you obviously still hold a high regard. Four and a half is pretty high, but yeah, go on. I see. I understand. Okay, so yeah, <laughs> so I came out of this movie with a four and a half rating. I, Shay and I did, yeah. And then we were driving home, and we did that thing where we were like, "Okay, what's preventing us from like pushing it to a five? And like, I swear, we like sat in silence for like ten or fifteen minutes, just like thinking <laughs> you guys are just about thinking the, to each other. We were as thinking about the movie. Yeah, we were just like thinking it. This is how mo- how important it was to us. And so we like sat in silence, and we were like 
thinking and eventually I think I came to like this I don't know like something about the movie like suddenly clicked for me and it went to a five and so we'll get into that later (laughs) um but yeah so yeah during that discussion I like managed to like turn my expectation or turn my four and a half into a five and then I also managed to like turn Shay's like four and a half to a five like he was like wait I get it now too I'm gonna give it a five too and I was like oh my god let's update our letterbox this is gonna freak doing, out doing Josh and Sophia there, Carmela. good job good job <laughs> persuading she to give it a five let's go I was actually on the phone with Josh and he was threatening me the whole car ride and that's when I if told you give this movie a goddamn five star <laughs> yeah. I swear to god gun to the phone yeah that's the last friendship card you're ever gonna have <laughs> last friend you're ever gonna see <laughs> I didn't even see the four and a half rating. I just, when I logged on when I got home that night, I saw that they were both at a five. I was like, oh, interesting, guys. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, that's same too. I didn't even see the four and a half. You might be lying about that. Cause no, no, no. I, didn't I see it. Oh. Uh, I immediately, after we finally like decided to give it a five, I immediately went on Letterboxd to change it or to rate it at a five because I knew it would freak you two out. <laughs> so, yeah. so there was, there was yeah. no four and a half. <laughs> okay, because like we're, we we were talking about it, and then like we go home, and then we're like, ah, I can't believe they fucking hated the film, giving it four and a half. Uh, then, like, we get home, and then Sophia goes on Letterbox, and then they're like, okay, Shade Criminal gave me the five. And I look, I was like, and I just started nodding my head. I'm like, yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's like that's about right. <laughs> um, that's about right. <laughs> so I guess for me, and sort of why uh, I love this movie so much, why it resonated with me, and why. I pulled the friendship card on Carmelo Devacho with me is um, one because movie experience, movie theater experience is so much funner than at home. Not that like this is rare that they, that movie theater show this, but whenever it comes up, I try and like take advantage of movies that I really love to watch in theaters. Just like to give a, a rundown of the first time watching it. It was like, it, it felt like uh, very cliche to say, but like a roller coaster watching it. Right, you see Robert De Niro, who's doing a fantastic job playing Rupert Pimpkin and how he goes through his life, through his attempts of being a comedian and trying to get Jerry Lewis to notice him, essentially. And the whole time in the movie, I'm just like, how is this going to work? Is this like, is he actually going to get there? Is he going to like strike dumb luck and get Jerry Lewis there? And and me just being so invested in the film, it was so funny too, like so, so funny where like Robert De Niro's acting's fantastic, Sandra Bernard, even Jerry Lewis, like all the all the set pieces, all the way the, the story is set up was just so funny and so entertaining to watch. Of course, like it turns into this kidnapping movie and this kind of heist-ish movie of how Rupert Pumpkin is gonna try and get to where he's gonna get to. And then you just like, as it's going on and as like the show is being recorded and shown, you're kind of questioning like, did this guy get away with it? Like, did this guy actually kidnap him, go on the show? And not to mention too, like the whole overarching like feeling is, how is he gonna do? Is he actually funny? Is he actually someone that deserves a spotlight? Just because like you, you see these people, right? That like say that they're up and coming, that they are skillful, that they have the talent, but it never really shows up, right? It never really shows up in their effort, shows up in the final product, regardless if you're talking about a comedian, rapper, artist, singer, painter, designer, anyone, like anyone that may boast their skills sometimes never shows up for it. And you kind of wonder if Pimpkin is going to actually do this successfully, if he's actually going to have his spotlight. And of course, like it, it shows 
him go back to the backstage and talk to the FBI people and uh, another comedic scene as well. And then they run up to the bar and they he shows it to the girlfriend or the girl that he likes in the bar that she works at and turns the TV on. And then the whole monologue happens, the whole dialogue of him, of what he's he was practicing. He's been practicing his whole life to say this. He's been, you know, looking forward to this opportunity and he, he kind of kills it honestly he kind of kills it like it it's not like he's the funniest person in the world but he had the crowd laughing he had the crowd in the movie theater laughing at, at some parts um had me laughing at some of the corny but funny jokes and then like as it's going on right like i'm, I'm enjoying this and then uh, like another question comes into my mind like okay is this the end game like is this really it is this it for him? He he kidnaps Jerry Lewis, the most popular talk show host uh, at the time. He has this spotlight moment and then he just gets arrested. Is that really it? Is that really the movie? And everyone just gets struck by the line he says at the end, especially myself. And it really, really ties the movie in really well where he kind of admits like, oh, I did kidnap Jerry Lewis. Like you'll hear about it tomorrow. You hear my name that I'd kidnapped him. And he goes, but I thought to myself, it's best to be king for a night than a schmuck for a lifetime and then the monologue ends and my jaw drops because like holy shit that's so sick like that's such a fantastic bow on this person that's consistently trying to get his spotlight consistently embarrassing himself to get this person to notice him to get the people to notice him and even then like even though like that might have been it for him he could have been to jail for however long the people might have forgot his name i think that line describes something so interesting with this character and with a lot of people in life where like he like set up this moment in his life just to give it his all and if that's it like that's it like he gave it his all and he tried he attempted it uh even though it's kind of in a (laughs) a dodgy and illegal way to do so to get this opportunity but to to build up this opportunity to be ready for it and to put everything on the line even his like future life in jail he gives that up as well or or alludes to that as well he does what he can to give everything he can to show people that he is funny or not funny and i think when he says that line it ties it in so well and it kind of like struck a chord where he is a terrible person obviously but he worked so hard to get to that level it may be like not the best method the best way and i know like obviously a lot of people who take this sort of like same formula in trying to get what they want into a legal route to hurting people i know i understand like the replications of that and like how this opportunity is not good and not a good method obviously no one should copy this guy um but i'm just so i was so intrigued by the idea of him putting everything on the line and if that's all he could give that's all he could give and i was just so struck and like almost kind of weirdly inspired by it like inspired by the idea of like giving it your all and whatever happens happens and i love that message that he gives at the end and that's sort of where i'm like fuck like this movie's fucking dope like it's hilarious i was intrigued the whole time it's also anxiety inducing a lot of the times and it's oddly inspiring at the end and i think that's why like this movie resonates with, with me so well and resonates with me like even after i was watching it like weeks and months after i kept thinking about the film and that's where like the opportunity i saw of like it showing again like, oh carmela like come on you gotta watch this gun to your head like <laughs> you gotta watch this film but yeah i was just like so so in love with this film and still am and that's why i was like really really like pushing carmela to watch it but yeah 
That was very interesting. And like, I don't know if you like already like want to get into it. The part where you talked about (laughs) where you like literally said you were inspired. Like I was thinking like, wow, he sounds like he's kind of inspired by this movie. (laughs) Um, I don't know. I kind of want to like dig deeper into like that feeling and like ask you like in what way like was Rupert Potskin um, like inspiring to you. <laughs> um, I don't know. It's just the like. There's a saying. I don't know who said it. I think it was like Banksy or something. And this saying kind of stuck with me as a kid. Not necessarily. I agree with it right now. But the line is like, if you want to build a castle in the sky, you don't ask permission. Which is like you don't you don't wait on other people to do it for you. You don't ask permission to do what you want to do or what you want to achieve. You just kind of do it. And I think that's where I sort of saw this with um, Rupert Pliskin, where he constantly was denied. He was always asking, you know, also to his like secretary and stuff like, oh, when is he going to be in? Oh, when is, you know, when is he when is he going to be here? And um, apart, of course, from the stalking and illegal actions of Rupert Pliskin, he's a guy that like never quit. Right. Everyone, literally everyone like his mom, his, you know, the secretary, the, the one friend that we saw in this film no one really believed in him or even knew who he was no one even like understood what he was actually trying to do and the fact of the matter is like he did take that castle in the sky and ran with it even if he lived in that sky for like one day he still had that opportunity to do so regardless if you believe the ending is real or not like i think it sort of worked in a weird way if if it did work for him where he becomes a tv host he becomes probably more famous than jerry lewis like he said in the film he like set these goals for himself albeit again very very illegal very very bad goals in which he got it but it's something that he achieved like it's it's a weird way to think about like achieving your goals or going to the path of where you want to be in life and how you're going to be there it really like stuck with me in that way of like even though this dude is like a nobody he's a schmuck he was still able to like he, he was able to per, like persevere and continue to keep on working and doing what he did without without really even really batting an eye of course this dude's delusional and I, i'm sure that plays into how he's able to achieve this but yeah he just like still kept going and and persevered and and found the ending to his story that he was trying to create yeah i actually kind of weirdly agree with that like there was a question that I actually wanted to direct at both of you that Josh basically just answered Um, but I was going to ask you Carmela like do you think there's value in like believing in yourself so hard that you need everybody else to see it too because for me personally like you always hear people saying things like oh fake it till you make it and that's essentially what Rupert Pimpkin is doing just in in maybe the most illegal way possible, but he's still like, when he first meets Jerry Lewis, he tells him, I wouldn't be coming to you if I didn't know that my work was absolutely fantastic. If, the, if I wasn't ready, I wouldn't be here right now. And I think there are people who do that, who view themselves that way. So I wanted to ask you, do you think that believing in yourself the way that, uh, that Richard Patinkin believes in himself, do you think that there's any value in doing that? <laughs> so- yeah, I think there's definitely value in believing in yourself. You want others to see what you see in yourself. Like he was almost like over he was like overconfident basically 
to the point where he's you know delusional and when he finally gets to prove like his worth to us the audience like with his monologue like we're impressed like you were josh we're impressed to see like he's actually funny like wait this guy actually has like the chops they were kind of like wrong about him like why didn't they give him a chance and yeah it's interesting like i think i i didn't even think about uh like his behavior in that way in terms of like validation almost like validation of like one's self-worth yeah i think that's kind of a cool angle like to view it as because like i basically was like viewing this film from an angle of like i don't know it was almost ridiculing like the bureaucracy and like all of the steps you have to go through to like you know get to be on top and like he kind of just like blows all of that up and like you know shows you there's a different way to the top albeit it's like illegal and like totally like if anyone did that today like it's like totally absurd it's like unreasonable right but yeah it was like the humor was like seeing how like he kind of blows up the system and like completely ignores it we're in like in our like society we're like wait you have to go through the proper channels to like do all the all the right things but it's like wait who told us like these were the right things to do like who told us like who like limited us to like only go this one way to like be successful or whatever and yeah i think like there's so there was so much humor in like watching him just like totally break that and i think that's why we find him so like inspiring because we're like wait like he's doing it he's like not even like like being a schmuck he's not just like following orders or following rules he's like breaking them but you know obviously like illegally like we're like so aware of that but that just like heightens the humor aspect i think at first i was like what this guy just needs to like <laughs> do it the right way dude like come on like why does he want like a fast track to like success or whatever yeah like what makes him so special that he's entitled to like fast track the process when everybody else has to go through the steps like you can definitely make that argument totally and like i feel like we're meant to feel that at first at least for me like that that was like my emotional journey i was like dude like come on like you gotta do your thing and then like you get to know him and you see how like delusional and desperate he is and then you start feeling sorry for him and you're like okay like wait he's like (laughs) he's like really trying but in his own way you know like (laughs) and i love that he was coupled with sandra bernard like her character like they were like a married old married couple bickering with each other it was hilarious it was such a joy to watch them like be delusional together it's funny that you like brought up the idea of like the bureaucracy of like being being successful and even in the beginning too jerry lewis mentions it too like this isn't like overnight stuff like you have to work years and years and even when you work for years and years they work more years and years and and go through the steps and process of being me a famous comedian and stuff like that and i think it's just so interesting because it is like that that sort of um steps that people try and take to become famous become successful and and in some cases that doesn't work for a lot of people and i like the idea of this almost also being commentary of like i don't know like a hard working american almost like jerry lewis is like that the the product and example of the system he sort of went through right he became a comedian did a many nights of stand-up workshops his jokes and stuff like that until he ended up in the seat where he was now being a tv host and being famous for being funny where rupert pumpkin is doing this like hail mary kind of crazy like attempt of making his name known and i think it's just so fascinating too because i think you guys are saying like oh yeah like people 
are faking it till they make it they go certain routes that aren't the typical routes and it's funny because like it, i think honestly if richard foreskin came out today and did what he did kidnap someone and then <laughs> does a whole stand-up thing on a platform and gets arrested for it i think in my eyes our society today and age will accept it i think we'll praise that especially on like twitter or x or whatever you call it instagram doing things like this always gets news coverage if you like i don't know if you guys notice or if you guys like have a um, a notable source but there are many times where people pretend to be like republican or bullied and start a gofundme start a kickstarter for to get them funds and they're like oh my god i'm like you know i'm so down and out this and that and then we find out that they're faking it the whole time or that they're deeply deeply racist and like they fake the system in which they get the platform they get by lying to people by being frauds and they still sit like strive from the success of that albeit they might not have the money that they get from those like gofundme or kickstarters but that's essentially what richard pumpkin did he like did all these steps and skipped a couple steps here and there did some illegal things lied to people and he still became someone who's successful if we believe the ending to be reality and i think like that's why it's so funny that like you mentioned that the whole bureaucracy and steps to be successful when people nowadays and even during that time as well as being a comedian they still make it through i think even like carlos mencia who was like a ginormous comedian was outed for stealing jokes for stealing material and he is famous for what he's been doing being a comedian and it's sort of alludes to this character's sort of success in this movie because it does happen today and it it's not necessarily a good thing but it's still the success that people want to see through a different means do you think when people do that in real life are you inspired by those people hell yeah i'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> i still think all the time that's how i get now um it's interesting because like obviously right like let's let's look at like this actual story of richard plumpkin actually going you know these steps let's say like we're watching it tonight on tv seeing it unfold and we see the repercussions of everything i think in my eyes seeing him do this shit and then like finding out the next day he actually did kidnap someone he actually did this and did that i would be very very confused in a way like oh my god like he did all that to be on tv that's so weird but also in my like my other side would be like he i mean it worked like he did like he did it i'm not like praising that sort of behavior to be commonplace but the idea of him successfully getting on tv telling these jokes making people laugh and then having that question of like wait did he actually do it if he did do that's kind of insane that's so fucked up and then we find out next day you know we see twitter instagram blow up about it and we have those like obviously like those like yuppie entrepreneur entrepreneur people be like you know what that guy really did work harder and fooled us all i I praise that guy you know like there's always those two sides of the story but in my head i think like watching it in real time watching it now i won't be necessarily inspired but i will be kind of thrown off to be like he like kind of cheated the system that is holding him in one place he kind of like went past that in creating his own pathway not that i would take that same pathway or praise it but the idea of that pathway (laughs) yeah i'm taking notes (laughs) the idea of that pathway being created in that in that fashion is so fascinating to me how would you guys react if there was uh, a real life richard pluskin doing this sort of thing in real time how would you guys feel about his success his method how would you guys react 
I mean, it's definitely way easier to like take the moral high ground when it's a movie, right? Like, on one hand, you definitely want to say, like, oh, he he accomplished his goal. He he literally said it's better to be a schmuck for a or it's better to be a king for a night than a schmuck for a lifetime. Like he knew what he was sacrificing. He knew he was potentially going to go to jail for it. He knew knew what the consequences of his actions were but he was willing to risk it to achieve his goals and in that respect i guess it is kind of admirable but in real life when we do see things like that happen like josh mentioned like people who become famous off of stealing jokes or um like it's really common to see on youtube where people will lie about their possessions or the things that they have because it makes them money to look like people that have a lot of money I think there's a family channel. I don't remember what the family channel itself is called, but I think it's Austin McBroom who is like making vlog content about like this multi-million dollar house that he bought with like this fully custom pool. And then the neighbors were getting upset because he was like jet skiing in the pool and throwing water onto um onto like neighbors homes when he did that but that home was like it had a lot of problems because they didn't have the money to spend actually building it properly they ended up getting foreclosed on they lost everything and people still followed them like this guy is a multimillionaire, even though he's I, I mean he's filing for bankruptcy I think because he's done a bunch of other shady business <laughs> things <laughs> but, <laughs> but like to a certain extent like he he was successful even though it wasn't long-term success it still was success and if your goal is to just be known and to be a celebrity like i don't know that that's what his thought process was but his name definitely carries a little bit of weight i don't know if that's good or bad weight but it's still something so in that case like it almost can be admired that even people like all all press is good press even bad press is good press if it gets people talking about you you know what do you think, Carmela? <laughs> I just, I just think these all those stories and like this movie just kind of like show how like crazy and flimsy and easy fame is to acquire. Almost like it's just like such a weird yeah, so concept easy for us, huh, Carmela? It's so easy. For so us. Oh, easy, man. so it's simple so easy. for us to Come acquire. On. We're not working hard enough, you know. We're not kidnapping enough people. To, we're not, to we're get not that Rooster Pupkins here. We can't all yeah, be Yeah, we're not. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I feel like nowadays, like, you could easily take very specific steps to go viral. I could start punching people in the face on the street to go viral. That would, <laughs> like, you know. <laughs> Is that Carmella punching people on the street? <laughs> What is she doing? Oh my god, repost. I know. Oh my god. <laughs> is that Carmella? Quote retweet, I know this person, LOL. <laughs> See, you know, like, exactly, like, and like, is that admirable? Like, I don't know. Like, that's like, it's weird. Like, that's, I don't even want to answer that question. Like, I guess, like, admiral, like, depends on what your goal is, like, is your goal to become famous? I guess that's admirable. Like, I guess you could take the same steps. All three of us start punching people on the streets. Like, I don't know. <laughs> you have to start punching. <laughs> Drop the podcast. We're Watertown Punching Club. We just keep punching yeah. people. <laughs> Watertown Punch Club. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's a different podcast. Yeah, episode. it's just like punching sounds. That's it. That's all. It's just one hour. Punching, punching sounds. sounds. ASMR. Punch, punch with sound. sound. One hour. <laughs> punch with sound's a good punch name. Punch with sound. Let's go. That's a good name, yeah. 
Anyways, my point was, I think this movie and those stories just show us how absurd, like, fame is. And, like, it's, like, completely, like, man-made. And it's, like, easy slash hard to acquire. It's just such a weird thing. And, like, fame and obsession, like, go hand in hand, right? Um, The movie shows you, like, Sandra Bernard, like... She doesn't want to be famous. She wants Jerry Lewis. She, like, wants his love and affection and attention. And, I mean, it kind of, like, kind of tells us in the movie, like, oh, like, she was neglected by her parents. Like, maybe that's why she, like, you know, has this obsession. And for Robert De Niro, like, he wants fame. Like, he wants to be Jerry Lewis. And, yeah, I don't know. It was interesting to see those two types of, like, desires and obsessions and... Um, watch them like play hand in hand and I'm wondering like uh, what you two thought about like that dynamic and how you kind of like I don't know how you relate that to real life yeah um, I'm so glad you brought that up because I really wanted to talk about the opening I don't know if you'd call it like a title card but there's the moment in the beginning that freeze frames on the inside of a car with Sandra Bernard's hands like almost doing like the poltergeist hands against the glass of the window and then Robert De Niro's character is on the outside so the the shot is from inside the car he's on the outside of the car and he's standing um, outside of the window with Sandra Bernard reaching out to him and they focus on that for so long that's like that one shot is uh, it goes through the entire opening credits and it's there for a solid like it's it's at least 45 seconds in a time frame when like when you're watching something on the big screen that time feels so much longer um so you're just like focusing on this and it really pulls that relationship together and puts it into perspective where just like you said like she's reaching out for the fame but she doesn't want it she just wants proximity to it she wants the acknowledgement from it and then behind that is blurry blurry randy patinkin in in the the space of where fame should be but we don't necessarily know if he's if he's achieved it or not and it it just reminds me a little bit too of like i i relate a little bit to the stan culture side of it where there's (laughs) almost this parasocial relationship where you think you know these people because of who they show you that they are you spend so much time consuming their content consuming like in this case the talk show or whatever else that that Jerry Lewis's character is doing that you you obsess over them and you almost start imagining them in your head like I 1000% of guilt am guilty of that like with celebrities that I feel like I know just like pretending like they're in the car with me so I have one someone to talk to like I understand that like really almost like sad loneliness of it and it's it was fascinating to see that play out in Sandra Bernard's character. Yeah, it's fascinating those two dichotomies of like Sandra Bernard's character and then Richard Prescatarian's character where he's out for the fame, she's out for sort of the power, the love, the the relationship with Jerry Lewis, right? It's interesting to think about those two sides of the coin where not only does Jerry Lewis have to like worry about these crazy fans that want to be him, but these crazy fans that want to be with him, right? And I think that uh, Sophia made a good point about it playing today, especially when it comes to people who are famous, like streamers, celebrities, influencers. People create that parasocial relationship. They believe and think that they're friends with them. 
they sometimes pretend that they're in the room with them like especially when i listen to like some podcasts i'm like oh <laughs> that's so funny podcast host like man you are so funny all the time like you, you never give it a rest do you and it's just like that sort of idea and fantasy that we all sort of create in our heads when we create that parasocial relationship or relationship with people that we don't actually meet and have a connection that isn't necessarily real it's real to us but not to the person who is famous and i think it's interesting to think about that sort of relationship between back then and now especially when it comes to especially when it comes to social media now like i think <laughs> like if they made like a remake i think it's it'd be so much easier to figure out where jerry lewis is figure out what he does um and essentially stalk his life in a much easier way like even in the film too i saw him like or he like walks to work i'm like bro you're like the biggest tv show host out there like you got people like watching you um but he still walks around he still like says hi to people but yeah i'm just it's just so fascinating to think about like those two characters in the way that like they represent two sides of fame even though they may be there may be more sides of that fame but the depiction of those two was a really fantastic um way of showing how famous people deal with those sort of people in their lives why do you think that this movie is about like comedians and not like movie stars per se or like singers why do you think comedy and fame have like such a strong connection to that like parasocial relationship good question (laughs) i don't know i think in this particular film the only thing i can think of is the idea of being a comedian i would assume back then was more viable than being like an actor actress or anything of that nature where like you're you're known for being funny and your skills on the stage are what's being noted there. And I think the idea of using Jerry Lewis, who's a big time TV host and Robert De Niro's character and in, in, in creating that sort of success story and goal to be a comedian or TV show host, I think was more viable back then. Don't quote me on that. I'm totally just assuming shit, but I think like, and it's also too, it's just a different story, right? On a, on a big screen where it's, you always have movies about, uh, people trying to be actors, people trying to be successful in business or whatever. But I think when it comes to comedy and especially the outlook on comedy, right? Like, uh, if I told my parents I want to be a comedian, they're like, "Oh, you want to be a clown, huh? You want to be funny, right?" You like they have that sort of outlook of that sort of profession. If I tell them I want to be an actor, they'll still bust my chops, but it's still a viable lifestyle than a comedian, right? So it's like, I think in this movie, particularly using comedians and TV show hosts, it's more of a understandable outlook and understandable way of living where it's almost niche to a point where everyone doesn't want to be a comedian, but everyone would want to be an actor or an actress, I think. And sort of creating that relationship really makes more sense in this case, um, especially when it comes to like pestering people, going to their rece- receptionist office every day, waiting for them hours on end creating a scenario in which you have like the tv set in your house and pretending to be them um i think that sort of relationship with uh that sort of story in this movie in particular really really creates that idea of this could possibly happen right this could possibly be a stage in which people do this and become successful in it i think in my opinion i don't know i could be totally assuming everything but in my head that's sort of why i think they sort of used a comedian route apart from like a actor or musician route kind of a thing interesting so you think maybe this movie is about this movie is like centering on like comedians because it was you think it was a more by by viable do you mean like more likely to happen or like more yeah. like easily more kind? kind of like not easily but essentially more likely to happen if 
someone were to set their goals at, at this time, I'm assuming, because I feel like comedians weren't as popping as they are now. And actors and actresses was like the like obviously the the popular role that everyone wanted to be during that time. I see. I think this movie centers on comedians because I feel like this is also like just me assuming, but I feel like with comedy, it seems like comedians need the audience. Like if you are a comedian, you need the audience more than the audience needs you. And I guess you could say that about like actors as well but there's a little more nuance there right like there's kind of more like there's more hands in that project i guess it's like not just an actor there's a director there's like you know a writer all this stuff but like you and the comedian you have a as a comedian you have like a direct relationship with the audience and it's like you're successful only if the audience thinks you're funny you have like one goal and it's to make people laugh and i feel like that's why this movie is centered on that because it just it doesn't have like all of those barriers in between or people in between it's literally just comedian audience and it's like it's interesting because the audience doesn't need to love you or like the audience needs to love you for you to feel validated and successful as a comedian and like if you're an actor or a director or a writer like for a film like it could be blamed on so many other factors I guess like whether or not like a project or um, your performance was successful or not so I feel like that might be why this is like about comedians instead but I don't know I could also say that about the director audience relationship which I feel like Scorsese might have been also paralleling because he's funny as hell like Scorsese knew what he was doing he made a hilarious movie about an unfunny guy trying to be funny and it was funny like he he (laughs) understands like he understands the nuance of like comedy and like audience so i feel like i think in his mind like the director audience relationship is just as close as the comedian audience relationship that's interesting do you think like i guess at the time comedians were almost like a crowdsourced occupation where like you kind of need a consistent love of attention and love from the audience in that way. What do, what do you mean by crowdsourced? <laughs> like the crowd <laughs> needs to know and love you for you to be successful as a comedian. Like kind of crowd, like it's based on the crowd for them to love you to be like successful, right? Actors have dir- directors, writers, you know, script readers, box office promoters. They have so many things that could source their success apart from like comedians who are constantly in front of audiences constantly trying to get laughs out of people constantly trying to get their attention um that's what i mean by like crowdsourcing like the crowd is very very on their side or against them in their profession i feel like it's like the like most primal profession like because you can be a beautiful actress and or actor and be like terrible at acting terrible at your job but you can also still be successful because you have beauty money or whatnot and same thing with nepotism you have nepotism on your side you know and i think with being a comedian like it's like anybody's game like you can be beautiful and you can be funny or you can be beautiful and unfunny and you can like but you'll still suck anyway like being like pretty won't like get you to be successful i feel like like the one thing you need to be is like funny or you need to make the audience laugh on some level yeah i completely agree just the fact that like 
the audience definitely does need to have that deeper relationship with you than you would otherwise have with professions like acting or or anything else. But I also think a lot of it has to do with the fact that, like, on the surface, not even on the surface, on at, at the end of the day, his life is really sad. He most likely lives alone. We don't know that for sure. He doesn't seem to really have any friends beyond Sandra's character. And when he does, like, interact with other people, like, when he interacts with Rita, for example, she's, like, very quickly, like, realizing that she needs to start pulling away from him, and she questions him, and obviously you can tell that that's something that pretty frequently happens to him. And I think comedy is, it's often used as a way to to mask those feelings, and comedy's always been a coping mechanism for a lot of people. Like you said, I completely agree. Comedy is maybe a more uh, relatable and more achievable route for some people to where it can it can just be more relatable. It can be more of a dream that people can chase. Anyone can can get on a, a stand-up stage or like an open mic and and try their shot and you don't always get those opportunities in um, in sectors like acting like you cannot just walk onto a set and audition if you're just somebody off the street like that doesn't happen that's not even allowed to happen um, <laughs> most of the time you can't even get onto a onto a production lot unless you have a SAG card like there's there's all these barriers to entry that maybe don't exist in the comedy world and I think that that's uh, definitely something that plays into it good points from the both of you but I want to get back to the film here I know you guys were kind of like touching upon the characters sort of delusions fantasies and sort of his unrealistic nature of imagining things i want to like open up the floor for this question and this question was sort of opened up uh before the movie started um is the ending do you guys think this movie ended the way we saw it do you think it's a delusion of richard pleiskin's sort of goal and end game here his dream of what's happening because throughout the film, we always see these, like, fantastical interviews with, like, Jerry Lewis, the the dinner scene, and, like, all those funny moments of just, like, what do you have me? got to make you beg and plead. There's tears come on. I can't do the show, Jerry. Like, that whole, like, you know, dimension of delusion where he does, like, believe he's, like, talking to Jerry realistically, talking about taking over the show. And that kind of kind of leads to the ending where do we actually see him be successful? He actually does he actually get out of jail eat like early enough? Um, and and um, this question too will sort of segue into the next one as well. But do you guys think that sort of delusion was something that was real, or do you think that he is still in jail, still going crazy, and not that funny? I feel like this question is kind of like asking at the end of inception like was it still a dream or was it real like i think those it's like exactly the same and like the answer for me is like it doesn't matter because this character is like i don't know like his character's journey has been like fulfilled it's been achieved he's like you know what i mean i guess like but what do you feel in your heart carmela what does it say in your heart of hearts are you asking me what i feel in my heart is real or like what do i technically <laughs> think is real like what yeah. what would make you happier with the movie at the end of the day i interpreted the ending as that it was real for <laughs> it was real for richard poopkin and the reason why i say that i think um his journey was complete he's achieved fame He's achieved happiness. He's 
successful he's been recognized i was telling shay this in the car like the film like a hallmark of like a good film is like like the opening frame and the closing frame are like directly opposite of each other or like and or completes like that character's like arc so the opening frame is what is his name jerry lewis's character like on tv the same like the same grainy shot and then the closing frame is rupert in the same like same like tv filter um he's on and like this time he's the one on stage and so like you can see like he's like successfully you know achieved the same fame that um jerry lewis had in the beginning and so to me uh, like that was perfect that was a perfect ending i'm like yes 100 percent. was it real was it not like i don't care it was perfect so for me the first time i saw it like i thought the exact same way or at least i mean i still kind of feel the exact same way that it was more than likely real like that's at least at the the final monologue the the crimes that he commits those are definitely real i would love to think that he really does get the fame that he was seeking especially because you know people since the dawn of time have been obsessed with true crime there has always been a market for true crime and i think with the propeller of like the news cycle at the time he gained almost a cult following i would love to think that like that he was able to gain this little cult following of people that were like cheering for him as he comes out of the jail and he really does get everything he ever wanted but i slightly amended my uh my theory the second time i watched it where at the end of it one of the like little throwaway gags that they mention they're doing a montage of like all of his success that he's found after after going to jail and after getting out of jail that he wrote a book he signed a multi-million dollar uh, movie deal for a biopic of his life of his journey and i would really love to think that the movie that we watched is that biopic it's the in-universe movie where everything is just a little bit more sensationalized and a little bit more perfect but there is a in-universe world where uh, this happened in a different way to someone who is not robert de niro whoa the movie's a biopic of the movie the biopic of the movie biopic <laughs> crazy <laughs> um i think for me that's a really good point sophia i like that it's really fun i think for me i i like to believe that render moleskin actually made it the way he made it and it was the reality that he wanted and, and two it just creates it just feels good right like the whole movie like it feels right for him to actually have that success have all that attention towards him um and especially how the movie was played out it really felt like that was all real and and not to mention too like it's just the story of faking it till you making it him successfully doing that him taking like the beaten path to get where he's at and achieving the dream that he always wanted and i think uh i think for me it is all real i think it's something that actually happened and it just makes it a better story i think i think it just it just makes it even i guess i just want to be sad i feel like it's sadder if like it is all delusion and he's still like dreaming about it i wouldn't even say sad i think it's it's kind of like plausible more plausible than not like more to what's coming to him not sad that's not the right word like more to like something that makes sense is is that he's del- delusional about this but the fun one is that he's actually successful in my head. Do you think Scorsese is the type of director to make you confused about what's real and what's not? That's funny you said that because I was going to segue into, not segue, but just talk about how another Scorsese film, Taxi Driver, 
has sort of the same feeling of the ending, right? Taxi Driver ends with him being a hero, saving the little girl, saving the people that got shot or whatever. And then this ends too with could be a delusion. So I'm like convinced that Scorsese loves this kind of ending, using it twice in, in, in his filmography and not to mention too in other films too, Shutter Island and I think The Departed I heard. Those two movies I haven't seen, but I've heard that kind of like divisive endings. But yeah, I think Scorsese likes to play with that idea. I think he likes to keep it open-ended to where people could continue to play with the ending, could c- continue to figure out the ending for himself. But yeah, how do you guys feel about these endings? How do you feel about like that idea of delusion, realistic, and how people portray it and translate it in Scorsese's films? I don't know. Yeah, even Taxi Driver, like I didn't even doubt the ending. Like, am I like, am I missing? I'm like, oh, am I missing something? I just like, I don't know. He just like doesn't strike me as the type of director to do to like confuse people. I feel like he's so straightforward with his films and characters. Like he's presenting like this very like straightforward, entertaining like character journey. And like we were like mentioning before, like all of his characters like are like a little questionable morally, but like still like likable in some way. And like I don't know, like yeah, Taxi Driver, and I didn't see The Departed, so I can't speak to that. But yeah, Taxi Driver, I didn't even I didn't even like bat an eye at the ending. I feel like which and interestingly, like Taxi Driver is like the dramatic, like dark noir version of like this movie and also starring Robert De Niro so that would be a fun like double feature yeah I was thinking the same thing that I also didn't really question the ending for Taxi Driver I think if I remember correctly the term is I don't remember if it's suspension of belief or suspension of disbelief but whatever it is that you when you're watching a movie like that like you're willing to accept whatever the fantastical elements of the film are even though they wouldn't necessarily happen exactly that way if it was happening in real life you're still like willing to accept it because it's the world of the movie but with this one at least like we have plenty of evidence that he's willing to show us an unreliable narrator at the very least like we know for a fact that that Richard Plankin is uh, delusional that he's actually in his room when he's picturing being with Jerry Lewis and having these conversations with him we know that he in his head has like these full-on delusions of what it would be like to be on the talk show and and we see that inner world of him there's also a lot of evidence that we see too that things are going on or that it may be in his head because of the background characters when we watched this movie this past weekend we got to see an intro by joe dante director of gremlins and and he talked about how there's one scene in particular where uh, Robert De Niro was showing this girl he's trying to get to know Rita. He's showing her his giant collection of autographs. And in that background scene, there's a guy who's sitting behind him who's just like crazy eyed copying his movements. And that was so fun to watch because in my head, I'm like, oh, we should be questioning whether or not this is even a reality if like there's things like that going on in the background. Obviously, that wouldn't happen for no reason. The part you're talking about where the guy's like copying like Robert De Niro, like it was like very eerie. It was like, it was like a Twin Peaks, like creepy ass moment. I was like, bro, like what the fuck? Like this is kind of creepy, eerie. And then similarly too, I noticed in the background of a couple scenes where like he's just walking with Sandra Bernard's character, um, a lot of the characters tend to be staring at them even when they're far enough away to where like they might not necessarily be able to overhear the conversation. I mean, maybe they're yelling when they're talking and it's like a crowded New York area, but I feel like especially in New York, people like 
keep their heads down and keep to themselves. And those frames explicitly showed like all of the background characters staring at Robert De Niro. And I think if it wasn't meant to happen, I think he's diligent enough of a director to where he'd notice that and tell the extras to stop if that wasn't what he intended. Um, so in situations like that, I definitely think that we're supposed to be questioning what we're seeing and how truthful it is. And like that's part of the reason why I could believe that the ending may or may not be real. And with that whole conversation about the ending, I'm assuming since we all gave this movie five stars, no one wants to give it a rewrite, any changes. Imagine. Of course not, because it's a fantastic <laughs> film. <laughs> um, but yeah, this has been our episode on King of Comedy. This is my favorite Scorsese film. I think Sophia's favorite Scorsese film. Um, I think, I don't know about you, Carmela, if this is your favorite as well. I, um, yeah, for now, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's just, uh, this movie is so fascinating to me too, because it's just like, just how big Scorsese is. This movie is like widely overlooked, underseen, I think underrated as well. I think if more people watched it, it'd be more of people's favorite Scorsese films. But I love it too, being kind of under the radar. Like for me to like find this out, watch it, be like, holy shit, this is a fantastic film. It was really fun to see. But yeah, woo. King of comedy, man. Richard Plankton, very, you know, almost inspiring figure. Sketchy method of getting to his goals. Um, but yeah, King of Comedy, fantastic film. Love Scorsese, love Robert De Niro. And I, I just want to finish like his catalog and see what is up next. Um, but so far, this is my favorite Scorsese film for sure. But yeah, thank you all for listening. My name is Josh Landicho. You can follow me on Instagram at the Space Wolf. And I'm Carmel, and you can follow me at Cat Malau. And I've been Sophia. You can follow us on Instagram at Watch With Sound. If you made it this far, please do make sure to rate us on Spotify, Apple Music, or whatever you get your podcasts at. Maybe leave us a comment on Instagram. Join the conversation and let us know your thoughts on King of Comedy. If you do that already, we thank you. We notice and it helps us out a lot. So we appreciate it. We also have a supporter program on Spotify that allows you to subscribe to us for as little as 99 cents a month, which would help us a lot as well. Only if you're able to, of course. But with that, thank you for listening, everybody. And keep on watching for all the Richard Foreskins in the world. Woo, 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 woo